it's not just the front of the house versus the back of the house or whatever. We're all one cohesive team. And if we're not cohesive with those little things that happened in the past, then the guests are going to feel it. And if the guests feel it, then we lose them. If we lose the guests, then we don't have a job or we don't have the hours for everybody. Um, and it also helps that our, the leader that we have in the front of the house, his name is Reggie, and he's been just right there with me every step of the way. Him and I just have a really strong relationship and we just make sure that um, our team sees that between the two of us. And also they feel it for sure, because if you, if you don't feel it, you're not going to follow it. Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. Three things, experience, cool under pressure, inspired leader. These attributes describe my guest, Chef Joshua Carther of Water's Edge at Hyatt Lodge in the beautiful suburbs of Chicagoland. I was so excited to speak with Joshua because he and I had so much in common. He's so about hospitality. And we talked about the difference between empowerment versus delegation, true leadership, and what it means to motivate and inspire people for greatness and to get the most out of your people, as well as the delicate balance and chemistry between front of house and back of house and what it takes to not only run several dining venues within the lodge, but also run catering and weddings and having all those balls in the air. We're talking finance, marketing, best practices. This episode has it all, so stay tuned. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Rockstars, let me tell you about Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed for restaurateurs, by restaurateurs. Effective labor management is more important than ever to maximize profit and success, especially now as restaurants begin to reopen and expand their teams. Trusted by over half a million restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to simplify scheduling, easily manage time and attendance, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll systems you already use and trust, turning your team into a competitive advantage to your business. Right now, Restaurant Rockstar's listeners can get three months absolutely free. Get started now at sevenshifts.com forward slash restaurant rockstars. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com forward slash restaurant rockstars to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Now on with the episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Our mission here is to reignite your fire, your passion, why you originally got into this business in the first place. So, of course, these are engaging topics that help you transform your business and move it forward. I'm really excited today. With me is Chef Joshua Carther, and he is with Water's Edge at Hyatt Lodge in Chicagoland. Welcome to the show, Joshua. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Do you like being called Joshua or Josh? You know, I go by Joshua, so you hit it right on the mark. Right on. Okay, so Joshua, you will be. So before we begin, Joshua, let's talk about your passions. What do you do when you have some free time? What do you do outside of cooking, outside of being a chef, you know, at a prestigious property? Well, outside of here, um, I'm very family-oriented. Uh, I have a wife and three kids, so anytime I'm not here at the property, I'm spending as much time as I can with them. Uh, I also like to learn a lot of DIY projects with building and home maintenance. So uh, that's uh, pretty keeps me keeps me pretty busy at home doing that. That's keeping, fantastic. Uh, the upkeep of the house. How old are your kids? I have a 22 year old, a 13 year old, and 11 year old. 
Oh, no kidding. All right. Well, I got two teenage daughters. So you're right in the middle. You're all over the map. That's fantastic. So that I'm sure that keeps you really busy. Great. Yeah. So Joshua, let's talk about my audience knows I always ask the backstory question because everyone started somewhere. Everyone's got inspiration, motivation, why they got into this business. Obviously, you're very passionate about food and cooking. Where did it all begin for you? Oh, it really began um, uh, years ago, obviously. Uh, my older brother, my oldest brother, he used to like cooking at home and he was pretty good. And uh, just to kind of build a relationship with him, he's about six years older than me. I used to uh, just kind of go alongside him from time to time and just watch him do things. And that kind of created the interest in it and uh, almost a connection with him of, you know, following along in his footsteps of just liking to make good food. And uh, when I was in high school, I was brought, uh, presented an opportunity to um, go my junior, senior year, go to a vocational culinary program half the day. And I figured that was a win-win. One, one win was I could get out of school half the day. And then the other half of the day, I could go and learn something into a trade that I really was kind of interested in. And it really took off from there. Can you tell us about, okay, that program? Because there's different ways to becoming a chef. There's classically trained chefs that apprenticed under a chef. They might have worked their way up from line cook to sous chef. Maybe they worked pastry, you know, different stations, and they learned sort of on the job. And then there are those that went to formal culinary programs or a combination of above, you know, they might've done the culinary school part-time while they worked in a restaurant and they got to practice their skills. I mean, is there any ideal way of getting into this business? It's different for everyone, but there's definitely a very logical path, um, obviously for you in that, but what did you learn in school? And, you know, what's your advice for other people that have a passion for cooking? They're not quite sure how to get into their first restaurant gig. Maybe they do it at home. Maybe they're studying. Well, that's all over the map, but let's, let's um, ask you those questions. Uh, yeah, just like you had mentioned, there's definitely multiple ways to get there. The most common way is going through culinary school and uh, earning, your, earning your stripes going that route and getting into the industry. Uh, what I did is uh, after I graduated high school or while I was in high school, I'm sorry, I actually started working in restaurants as a dishwasher uh, just to kind of get the experience. So I want to say my sophomore year, I started doing uh, dishwasher, busboy. And uh, about my junior, when I really started going through the vocational school, I obtained a, uh, um, my first hotel job as a cook. And really, it just the, the passion in me really got ignited and it just really clicked with me very well to where I started working like uh, on, on the line where I was working cold side, just making salads, sandwiches. And then I basically was interested with uh, doing the higher end, like cooking steaks and seafood, saute station, grill station. And I did all that before while I was still in high school. And because of uh, my vocational program and uh, getting out of school part of the day, uh, I actually was able to get to work sooner than most high school students. So I was almost in full-time status my senior year of high school uh, while I was working at a hotel. And uh, really after that, it it kicked off where I started culinary school. And unfortunately, I didn't finish culinary school. And at that point, uh, as I kind of joke around and tell people, I went to the school of hard knocks. I just, I I got people that or I worked under people that gave me a chance and first gave me a lead cook role uh, where I was doing high end um, or high end, uh, high production uh, um, breakfast buffets, lunch buffets in a hotel setting. And then I got my, uh, I got a supervisor role in a hotel uh, on the line. 
And really right after graduation, I want to say within six months, um, I had transferred out to a resort in the Carolinas where I got a first sous chef role. Um, so every step of the way, I had people that kind of taken, um, giving me a shot to prove myself. And I really focused on making sure that they never regretted those decisions. And every step of the way, I was learning and just uh, showing people that no matter what it took, I was there to work hard and learn and progress. Uh, and that's kind of what I did. And one interesting thing that I did was uh, it was kind of funny, but when I went to the Carolinas for my first chef role, uh, I was too young to go to the bars of the clubs. So uh, uh, I would work in the morning, uh, the morning as a chef in, uh, and then the evening because we were only open for breakfast and lunch in the evening, I would go to the front of the house and learn how to be a server and just see what the other side uh, of the line looked like and how to actually interact with, uh, with guests on that close proximity. So that really helped me out in my career from there, just understanding and uh, cross departmental relations as well. Well-rounded experience for sure. So I'm hearing yeah. a few things. I mean, I'm hearing that you had some pretty special people that mentored you, that sort of took you under their wing and helped you develop as a chef, helped you develop your skills and really sort of inspired you while you learned. Is, would you say that's Correct. accurate? A hundred percent. Yeah. That's fantastic. So this has got to have some impact on your management style right now, the way you came up through the business, because I've worked in a lot of restaurants before I ever even owned a restaurant, never thought I'd be in the business, but it's like, I started out as a dishwasher at a country club, was promoted to bartender, bartended at a number of different restaurants in college. And I came into contact with a lot of different kitchen people. Some were, you know, really sort of, um, dictatorial people that just sort of barked orders and told you what to do. And, and they, you know, they got respect through intimidation. We've all seen those types of chefs. And then those, those chefs that really sort of don't have attitude are cool under pressure, really recognize talent in someone and nurture and develop that talent. And that's clearly the way to go. Why don't you tell us about your management style and, and some of the people that you work with that you're bringing up in the business? Yeah, I'll start really fast just by confirming what you said. I have worked with a lot of uh, leaders that uh, really led by intimidation. And as I was learning and growing, uh, I was also taking mental notes on what kind of a leader I want to be. And, um, you know, when I was put in different situations um, of, as we call used to call it the flamethrowing chefs working alongside them or under them, uh, I would kind of make mental notes saying that I never want somebody to feel what I was feeling in, in some of these situations. So, uh, you know, fast forward to now, what I what leadership style I think that best explains me is that I lead by inclusion. So as I'm going through decisions uh, in the operation here, um, whether it be, uh, or let's start with menu development. As I'm going through the menus, the first thing I'll do is I'll get with our wait staff and I'll say, okay, let's take a look at sales reports and see what hasn't sold. Let's see what kind of feedback you're getting from guests and what they would like to see. Um, you know, what are they asking for? And I'll, kind of, I'll start with that as my starting point. And then from there, I take our menus and I cross items off the list that, that we want to get rid of. And I'll meet with my culinary staff, um, you know, and that's everybody. That's the cooks and my other chefs. And we'll sit down and say, okay, this is the items that we're going to remove. Let's come back in another week and let's uh, brainstorm some ideas on what you guys have come up with in the past week to see what would make it on the menu. And, you know, the, a lot of, um, not everybody, but a lot of the, the team over the years have really gotten excited about that process. So, you know, everybody would come in and if somebody had like a super great idea from time to time, I would actually put their name on our menu. 
for example, we had a guy in, uh, in our fine dining outlet and he came up with a really good lasagna and uh, I called it Manny's lasagna. Uh, that's just what I, what, how I like to manage everybody. And then that's just for the menu part. But when it comes to our day-to-day operation, what I will do is uh, we'll go through stand-up meetings or even post-shift meetings. And we'll talk about how things have gone over the past week or the current day or even looking ahead. And uh, I'll talk to the staff like, you know, what do you think we could do differently? You know, what do you think we could do better on? Um, how can I be better to support you in your roles? And we had just have those open conversations. And one common uh, point of feedback I've gotten from the team over the years and different teammates that have come and gone was that they had never been um, treated as as an equal to the managing team uh, and and being part of those processes. And just that's something that just really told me internally in my own heart that um, that what I had hoped to achieve in uh, my leadership role of not having people feel those things that I felt in the past was being achieved. And that was just confirmation that I was on the right track with people. Wow, that's fantastic. You know, we're on the same page about that for sure. And, you know, especially during this labor crisis, it's like we really have to take care of our good people and we really have to maybe shift our management styles from the way things were before the pandemic to now, like you said, inclusion. People want to know that they have a voice, they want to be valued, they want to be recognized for, you know, good ideas like that. And as well as just providing feedback, you know, good or bad, negative or positive, you know, I think it's really important that you up-level the team that way. So I totally agree. I love this setting, by the way. So you're you're at a place called Water's Edge at Hyatt Lodge, and you're just outside Chicago, I guess. And there's a big lake in front of this property. So let's talk about the different dining venues within Hyatt Lodge. Now, I know we have Water's Edge that we talked about. There's also something called the Hearth Lounge. There are private parties available. Are you managing the whole food and beverage um, for those three venues? or uh, That is correct. Yeah. Okay, cool. So now let's talk about Water's Edge. It's very similar to um, a business that I currently own that completely pivoted. Okay, first of all, Water's Edge, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it is a sort of an upscale cafe and marketplace concept, right? And you're offering breakfast, you're offering lunch, that sort of thing. Really, really nice salads and wraps and beautiful sandwiches. And your your reviews are excellent, by the way. You know, you've got really strong reviews for both food quality and taste profiles, as well as excellent service. So that's a tribute to you. But interestingly, my business had to pivot. You know, we bought just before the pandemic a breakfast place that's sort of you know, what you would think of your grandma's old-fashioned breakfast place. You walk in, there's an old-fashioned sort of soda fountain counter, and there were old booths and whatnot. And people would go there and gather for Benedict's and omelets and coffee. And it was, you know, your traditional breakfast place, right? And then the pandemic hits, and we had to completely shift it. Dining inside was completely restricted. We had to rip all the booths out, totally reimagine the space and turned it into a market that still offered takeout Benedicts and omelets and pancakes and sandwiches and similar things, I think, to what you're doing. Did you have any pandemic challenges? Like what happened to you when the pandemic hit and how did you adapt to that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, So we actually, unfortunately, shut down our hotel for about three months. We closed down in March of 2020 Mm -hmm. and we reopened in July. And the interesting thing was, is we reopened in July. We're in the Chicago suburbs in the village of Oakbrook. And the good thing about being in the suburbs was, uh, you know, we didn't have, as we were came back in July, we didn't have those same restrictions as like Cook County, Chicago did. Um, so as people were trying to get out and do something, 
we were a good place where, um, you know, because of our lakeside dining, uh, we were doing a lot of things out, outdoors, like doing some cookouts where people could come and dine in outside or even just nice. take it to go to the rooms. We did like grill cookouts uh, for a little bit. We had uh, crab leg dinners going on and, um, you know, we we had we were only open for the weekends at the time, which worked out really good because that's when everybody was trying to get out of their homes and do something was during the weekends. And we have a really good size uh, swimming pool that has a lot of draw uh, for families. Um, so that's what, what was going on when we first reopened in July. And we actually opened up super busy, uh, busier than any of us had anticipated, I believe. And uh, then the lock, then we had stronger mitigations, I want to say in November, where we had to uh, basically go back to uh, where there was no indoor dining at all at that point. And uh, that really put a, a damper on us. So we just did everything to go and tried to do everything out of our, uh, out of our restaurant that people could take to the rooms or at least uh, go through the other grounds of the hotel. Uh, now, again, like I mentioned with our indoor swimming pool that drove a lot of families here uh, that really gave them a, a, a brought the more clientele again on the weekends where we were very steady through the weekends. And this was all through the winter period. Um, and then during the weekdays, we were closing our outlets, but the weekend kind of kept us alive. And as this year's coming up now um, and the restrictions have lifted, uh, we definitely have a lot of social events, business, uh, like uh, group business mm. is slowly coming back, but we're really kicking off on weekends. Like this past weekend, we had seven weddings over the weekend. Unbelievable. And yeah. Wow. So, you know, uh, we're you had a few balls in the air, huh? It's like, dun, 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 dun. wow, that's challenging. <laughs> yeah. I could see one wedding and running the other food and beverage venues, but having seven weddings simultaneously. Talk about strategic planning, efficiency, organization, you know, having a team you can count on and having a plan, right? I mean, all that goes into it, of course. Exactly. And you're, you're like the air traffic controller with the vision. You know what's got to happen. You know what the brides and, and the wedding party's expectations are. You know what your guests' expectations are in the restaurants. And somehow you got to pull all this together. Man, you got to be cool under pressure for that, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, one of my early mentors, that was one of the things I learned was he was always very calm and he kept things upbeat, you know, because this, you know, as we all know, that's in this industry, it's a stressful environment. Mm, it is. And uh, if you're not looking for ways to uh, stay on top of uh, your stress levels, then it can easily take hold of you. So one, that's actually one thing that I focus on through, throughout all the chaos going on or organized chaos is, yes. um, I just focus on my team. You know, we make sure the communication is there, the organization is there. But as we're going through um, all the firing times and, you know, handling all the parties going out and also the restaurant, my whole focus as well is making sure that obviously food safety is a big, is on the forefront, but also oh, yes. that my team isn't feeling the stress. And I do everything I can to make sure that they feel upbeat Uh and they feel supported. And I'm just, just kind of like how I am right now. This is actually me on the daily basis during the stress levels of just being excited, being energetic and just keeping people upbeat. So that way they don't really think about the stress that we're in, you know? Yeah. Now you have a discerning clientele, of course, you've got an upscale property, suburb of Chicago, of course. And, you know, this, the news headlines and, you know, not just the airlines, but restaurants, it's like people are just they have such high expectations right now, and the demand is at an all-time high, and restaurants are short-staffed, and people have short tempers, and it's a real challenge somehow just to deliver on expectations 
and have you know certain customers that are rude and, and are attacking staff, even though staff have no control over what's happening. Did you have any challenges when you got back in July? You said things kind of took off again. Did your clientele really kind of understand? Were they flexible? Did you do much communication about, okay, we're shifting now, we're, we're doing takeout to the rooms, this is what we have to do? I mean, there had to be a communication process there, but you know, bridging the gap between what the expectations were before to now what the new normal, new expectations are. How, how, how did that all happen at your property? Uh, well, yeah, from from our sales team out to down to our front of the house staff, that we have basically tried to communicate all the the uh, challenge, not the challenges, but all the requirements that we have from our local health department. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say in the beginning, we definitely had a lot of um, clientele that came in with that understanding. And as uh, as we got closer to November, some of that understanding kind of went, went away and even especially more into this year as uh, as a lot of the a lot of the restrictions were lifted things were mm-hmm. opening more um, everybody's like okay we're good we can go back to to how everything was and get covid behind us well that wasn't the case because of staffing levels so we just did what we could to communicate that to people and uh, you know a lot of guests do understand that but a lot don't as well and they just really want you know there it's more this is what I want focused or me, uh, me focused, uh, yeah. you know, and I understand it. You know, a lot of us do understand because they, you are still paying a premium to get some certain products and services. Correct. And, Correct. you know, uh, although we are community, we do communicate that from check-in and sales and so on. Uh, we still make sure that we, uh, as much as possible, we're trying to meet those demands that, uh, that people come in with or the expectation, the desire. That's exactly what you have to do. So it sounds like you're handling that as you should. Now, how is this crazy labor crisis affecting you and your property right now? And how are you tackling that challenge? Well, uh, it definitely hits us just like everybody else. And, uh, you know, when we came back, uh, I was, you know, myself, as long as was the the, the culinary team, uh, we came back with no dishwashing team. So we were cooking everything, washing everything, going back to cooking and just kind of back and forth. Um, and it's definitely not something that's been answered at this point because mm. we still try to, you know, we have so many positions open and we just aren't getting applicants or some of them that do for a while, we would get applicants and people wouldn't show up for interviews. Yes. Uh, we've had to rely on temp agencies as well. Um, and temps would book, uh, uh, we call it a gig and then not show up. Uh, <laughs> But, um, you know, with all those challenges, you know, really the way that come to, that we've come around it is it's really brought us as a, as an entire hotel, not just the culinary department, but an entire hotel to really come together even stronger than any of us ever have in the past. And um, the, the perfect way that I kind of explain it is it brought us all together more as a family. So it's even surpassed the team, but more as a family where we look at each other, we see people in need and we're helping out in any way, shape or form that we can. I've had some, some of my cooks help out in housekeeping. Uh, I myself was in housekeeping once and I realized that's a tough job. Um, and vice versa, we've had a housekeeping team, uh, banquet serving staff help out in the dish room. And these are things that really didn't happen before the, the pandemic, but all of us are really pulling together to get the job done. Because at the end of the day, if our guests aren't feeling that they're taken care of, um, regardless of the challenges, they're not going to come back. And it's everything that we can do to pull together to make sure that the guests feel like 
one, they got the value, two, that they had a memorable experience, especially with the weddings, social events, and the safety with the corporate groups coming in. So, you know, it's 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 definitely a team family effort for all of us to come together to do that. You know, I think you mentioned, um, you made it really clear to us, your management style is really helping you to keep your team happy and together. Do you have any particular... Mm-hmm. Um, motivational tools? Are you using recognition and rewards programs on a regular basis? It's like, how are you keeping that ship, you know, elevated and keeping morale high? The, the first thing, and I feel like it's the most basic thing, and that's just throughout the shifts, at the end of the shifts, or even the next day, I just check in with the guys myself, um, the guys, I, I have some ladies in the team too, I'm sorry. No, uh, I just check in with the team as well. And yeah. we all just, we just talk about, Hey, thank you so much for what you did. And, um, you know, really appreciate it. And that's the most basic thing that we can do now. So there's things that I want to do in terms of recognition, you know, uh, with bringing in some certain staff meals and stuff, and we haven't gotten to it yet, but we will be doing that now. Um, and it's only because, uh, you know, we get through the days and we just look at the clock and our clock is not our friend. And you know, right. we'll come in, it's five in the morning. Next thing I know, it's 10 p.m. at night. And we're just try- at that point telling everybody, you know, thank you. Um, so uh, so for recognition programs, they are getting put into place. But just on the daily basis, I just make sure that everybody feels like they are valued. Um, one thing that I have brought in, uh, the team together on from time to time is my goal. Uh, and I mentioned this to him in like a stand up um, at the end of one busy wedding weekend. And that was uh, that, you know, for everybody there that was there, the culinary team and the dishwashing team was my goal is to make sure that everybody there felt like their talents that they bring to the table was cherished and not used. Now, in, in lots of restaurants, I mean, chemistry between the staff is so, so important, you know, and obviously that lead lead by example helps that that situation quite a bit. But there, I've been in lots of restaurants. I've owned several restaurants. I've had different teams that we had to sort of pull together, front of house, back of house. Sometimes there's conflict. Sometimes there's, you know, some petty jealousies because I'm working under, you know, 900 degree conditions in this stuffy kitchen and you're making like 200 bucks a night and walking out the door and all that kind of stuff. And you're bothering me on the line. It's like, I got a full <laughs> row of tickets right here and you're bringing me this plate that wasn't cooked properly you know it's like the balance has to be reached it's like how do you do you do you have any of those challenges front of house back of house and how do you keep that team together so that people have a mutual understanding and mutual respect we we know each other's challenges and somehow we all stay cool and make the guest experience as memorable as we can you know what i'm saying how do you handle that yeah for sure uh, and that was always a balance that we've had you know years and years and uh, i've always just tried to uh bring the understanding to the culinary team as well as the front of the house team. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, when one thing that really helped me out was when I was in the Carolinas and I learned the front of the house, I worked it. So I understood what guests were saying to the wait staff. I felt that I experienced it. Um, so my, uh, my translation to the kitchen team was, you know, this is what, these are the questions that guests ask. And if you say the food is going to be ready at this time, it better be ready at that time. And so we got to make sure that our communication is on point. Um, so, you know, over the years, that was always something that we would challenge, that we would uh, communicate to the, both teams and let them know what each team was feeling to try to avoid that. Um, some successes, some not, but definitely in the current uh, climate that we're in, that's one thing that we've really um, been focusing on. And I've been telling my culinary team uh, that as we're rebuilding, we're coming out of uh, COVID this is a chance for us to really rebuild 
with the team that everybody works together with the team mindset that it's not just the front of the house versus the back of the house or whatever. We're all one cohesive team. And if we're not cohesive with those little things that happened in the past, then the guests are going to feel it. And if the guests feel it, then we lose them. If we lose the guests, then we don't have a job or we don't have the hours for everybody. Um, and it also helps that our the leader that we have in the front of the house, his name is Reggie. And he's been just right there with me every step of the way. Him and I just have a really strong relationship. And we just make sure that um, our team sees that between the two of us. And also they feel it for sure. Because if you if you don't feel it, you're not going to follow it. Um, so we just make sure that that's communicated to our teams as well. And also uh, what we do is just just the way that I, I had mentioned, I uh, present to the team about their values being um, cherished. I also want to make sure that the, the, the wait staff that we have, they feel the same on our end from the culinary perspective that I communicate that to them as well. Fantastic. So we already talked about all the balls, you all the plates spinning that you got to keep in the air. Okay. We got the cafe in the marketplace at Water's Edge. We've got the hearth. It's sort of a curated cocktail bar in front of the fire, but you're also having a pub menu there. You've got weddings, you've got group dinners, and you also have private events. Now I understand that you're doing curated alcohol pair dinners. Want to talk about that? Yeah, that's really fun for us right now. Um, one challenge that we've had over the years, because uh, as you can see from the backdrop a little bit, you don't know we're minutes away from a busy shopping center called Oak Brook Mall oh, and yeah. not far out of Chicago, right? So yeah. a lot of people that come across here, they, they, they had mentioned over the years that they never knew we existed. They never knew this, this, um, this hidden gym was around with all the hustle and bustle of everything around us. And uh, I always, uh, the, the culinary team and also the, the managing team and their outlets, you know, it was always something we looked at was, you know, people don't know we're here. We got that so much. So we were like, why don't you tell your friends? Um, and that just didn't happen, you know, or whatever reason we still kept getting those comments. So these, uh, like you had mentioned, these dinners that we're doing, uh, the first one that we had in, in, in place was, uh, you know, it was all spearheaded by our general manager and we had the uh, Robert Mandavi wine dinner and, uh, same thing. People were coming to the first wind and they're like, wow, we never knew this was here. And that was a, a great experience. Um, great experience for myself and the limited team that we had because we were able to go out there and just talk to um, the guests a little bit after the wine dinner was over. And then the second one was uh, that we just recently had was paired with Orrin Swift. And that was a cool experience. And in this one, when we came to the room to uh, just say thank you for everybody that came to join us, it was almost, it turned into a Q&A. Some of the guests got really into it and they were asking us um, uh, what our background was and, and uh, who did what presentation. Because in that wine dinner, there was a team of four of us that uh, actually came up with every plate, uh, each one of the plate presentations we did for each course. So the guests were asking us, you know, who did this? What was your inspiration? And so that was a really cool, uh, cool time. And also, again, it brought a lot of pride uh, into the team that we had because they were able to see the guests' enjoyment uh, in that in that uh, that evening. So yeah, the next one we have coming up, we're going to be pairing it with McAllen. And uh, the reason I wanted to do this Zoom uh, meeting outside was this is going to be where the, the this next dinner is. We're going to do a pig roast. That's our main uh, attraction for the evening. And just being able to be outdoors uh, before it gets cold uh, for one one last uh, big yeah. event for us. Um, and then again, just all these different dinners that we have, 
it's just trying to get our names out there so people know that we're here. That instead of saying that we're a hidden gem, they can start saying that we're a gem that they know about, and they can really uh, not just for the the uh, these paired dinners, but also start to look at you know maybe I can start bringing other events here or social events or maybe it's a wedding, it's a corporate group, but you know just being able to get people out here to let them know that we're here. And what we have to offer from, you know, the culinary perspective, of course, but also with this beautiful grounds that we have. Yeah. I mean, it looks like an oasis just outside the city, right? What an escape from, you know, the typical city hustle bustle. And then all of a sudden a short drive away is, you know, your place. The Hyatt Lodge. Yes, exactly. And I see you've got a patio out there. So you serve a lot on the patio when the weather is, is cooperating, of course. So that must be really popular with guests. Yes, it is. Let's shift gears even, a little bit. Even during yeah, the, uh, oh, sorry. No, 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 oh, go ahead. Even during, your like, especially, yeah, especially when we have the weddings and stuff, we have a lot of cocktail receptions out here as well. So, well, it's, you know, it's great for photo ops and, and wedding videos and all that sort of thing. I mean, I'm sure <laughs> that's a huge appeal. Just that setting is it's spectacular. I, I had a chance to look at the website as well. And I got a view of the building lit up at night with the lakefront in front of it. And yeah, what a spot. It's fantastic. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about financial controls, which are so important in the kitchen. And again, you know, I've worked with so many different chefs, you know, in my career, either working in restaurants or owning my own restaurants and hiring these people. And their skill sets are very broad and different. And some are really strong culinarians and they can put out really beautiful food that guests rave about, but their costs are through the roof and they have no sense of striking that balance between the all-important food cost and profitability versus the amazing you know, culinary skills that they put forth. So let's talk about financial controls at your property. Are you entirely in charge of that? Do you have people you work with that you know, order efficiently and take inventory and calculate food costs and labor costs and keep all that under control? Because in my book, that was critically important when I, when I owned the properties. Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's definitely, like I mentioned earlier, a big team effort. I have uh, my culinary managing team, the chefs that I have, and they they look at what we can, uh, they do the, the inventories and some of the ordering. And then as well, as we have events going on, they make sure that we have very, very minimal waste on anything. And, uh, you know, when we come to start the menus, we cross utilize as many ingredients as we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make sure that um, that that's going on. Even our sales team, you know, they look at if we have a group coming in that has a certain menu, they try to match that menu. So that way we can focus on, it's almost like one big party, even though they it's different groups uh, or smaller amounts or different amounts. Uh, they all have one menu is what we try to focus on. And, and then we have an amazing purchasing director as well, that he's basically my right-hand guy that just communicates with me and we just look at every every ordering throughout the week and we're just constantly in touch with our sales reps to say okay what are the pricings this week where can we um, be flexible on some of the stuff we're ordering and uh, it's just just communication every day every week to make sure we're on top of it um, but even you know again just the menu development some of the stuff that we that we developed was just uh, like we'll just have market seafood uh, for some of the things uh, just to try to be flexible with that uh, as much as possible. Excellent. Awesome. Let's talk about future goals. I mean, you've been here. How long have you been at the Hyatt Lodge? I've been here for a while. You know, it, the, the, the grounds uh, suck you in, you know, it's a beautiful atmosphere to oh, yeah. work. And yeah, it's peaceful. Uh, so, 
Yeah, I've been here for 10 years. At wow, this point. that's that's a that's an extensive career for sure in one property. What what do you see your future looking like? I mean, what's down the road for Chef Carther? Yeah, um, this is definitely the start that I that I really wanted was to uh, go through the ranks in the culinary side. Uh, the first general manager I worked with in a hotel, he actually moved up through the ranks as a chef and then became to the front of the house as a general manager. And I highly respected him a lot. And um, uh, so that is something I've looked at. So in the next mm. years coming up, my hope is that I can uh, cross train a little bit and then venture out to be a food and beverage director at some point in the future. Um, and, uh, you know, I definitely have a great, uh, some great leaders that can help me along with that. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay. That's very admirable goals as you continue to build your career, because it sounds to me like you keep learning. I mean, you've got such a diverse skill set now, but it's like the day you stop learning, it's like, what's the point, right? I mean, part of your passion is coming up with new ideas, um, learning new skills and sharing those skills with, with your team. Why don't we talk about, um, let's see, do you have any advice for up and coming chefs that might want to get into the business? Like, what would you tell them if, you know, maybe, maybe somebody's 18 or 20 years old and they like to cook and they may possibly see a future in this, what would your best advice be? (laughs) The best advice would be as a starting point, the chefs that you see on TV, that's, that's a rarity. Um, we don't come, we don't get into industry because of the glamour and the salary. It's, it's a, it's all comes down to heart. If your heart's not in it, you're, you're going to kind of get crushed with the, uh, the workload that you deal with. Um, and just the amount of multitasking that's involved. Uh, but then secondly is, uh, your, the team that you work with is your, is your greatest asset. And to not, as you continue to grow through the ranks, um, never lose sight that you can continue to learn, not just from great chefs, but the great team you work with. Uh, like I mentioned, I lead by inclusion. And one thing that I can uh, attest to that is as we're coming up with the different menus and recipes, the, the team that I have in place here, they continue to teach me different presentations or different recipes. And, and that's one thing that I've been very uh, humble about is to let everybody know, even though I'm the executive chef, I don't have all, all the answers. And I continue to learn from them just as much as they do for me. So as long as you have that mindset, um, and it's not about pride or ego that a lot of chefs do get, let that go at the door because there's so much growth you can have when you let that go and you include everybody. That's beautiful advice. Thank you so much. Well, chef, it's been my pleasure having you as a guest on the restaurant Rockstars podcast so much. We appreciate our audience for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. This is an amazing experience. I really appreciate this. I wish you all the best of success in the future, Joshua. Thanks so much for being uh, being our guest today. Wow. Thanks, Chef Joshua. What an amazing episode. You know, I love talking shop with people that are passionate about hospitality, that are running high-level organizations, and really working with their people. Because people, of course, are the foundation of your business. People are also the foundation of your marketing. Okay, And there's nothing more important than building a marketing database, getting raving fans for your restaurant, and building cash flow. All of these things are possible with a course we have called How to Start a Mug Club. If your restaurant has a bar or a lounge and sells draft beer, or if you have a coffee venue, you can start a mug club. And again, it builds a database that you can then market and communicate to your customers. It brings those customers in several times a week instead of maybe once or twice a month. It builds great cash flow. It's 
affinity building, you know, that powerful sense of loyalty or belonging. That's what it's all about. So again, you too can build affinity with your customers, your guests with How to Start a Mug Club. Check it out at restaurantrockstars.com on our shop page. I want to thank the sponsors of this week's episode, Cisco and Seven Shifts, the all-in-one labor management platform. And if you have an idea for an upcoming guest, all you have to do is go to the show notes of this episode. Halfway down the page, you're going to see Ask Us a Question, and you can ask or provide an idea. You can ask a question about a challenge or a pain point, or you can suggest a guest or a topic that you would love to hear, and we'll respond right back to you. You press a button, you leave me a message, I get back to you, and on we go. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next time. Thanks for listening to, to the, the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.